Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Smith Childs. She teaches Spanish at Seattle Academy of Arts and Sciences, where she also coaches tenants and helps lead outdoor and international trips. She earned her BA in Spanish and Sociology at Furman University, where she spent a semester abroad in Spain, completed undergraduate research on second language acquisition, and did an internship at the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce in D.C., Her most recent accolade is becoming a best-selling author of her debut book, Embrace Your Story, A Young Woman's Guide to Discover Who You Are, Where to Go, and Why You Matter. A mentor for almost a decade and an honorary big big sister, Smith has logged thousands of hours spent with young women hearing their stories and helping guide them through life with tips and practical wisdom. She wants readers to know that they have what it takes to embrace their own story, no matter how messy it may seem. Smith is a Georgia native, loving life currently in the Pacific Northwest. Well, she's not teaching or writing, she's finding joy in her journey by reveling in the little moments, like enjoying a great sunset, a good book in the sunshine, or a hike through the Cascades with her fiance or closest friends. Welcome to the podcast, Smith. <laughs> thank you so much. Quite the introduction. I appreciate you having me. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much for your interest in being on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, we'll dive right in with the question I ask everybody. Tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Yeah, um, I think in education, we can all agree that we find ourselves in the trenches quite a bit. Um, so I love the topic of this podcast. I think it's so important to hear other people's stories. Um, it helps us not feel so alone in that. Um, but I am primarily a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. Although last year I had four classes of eighth grade, mm-hmm. um, which I was like excited for. I was okay. We'll switch it up a little bit. How bad can it really be? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was tough. I yeah. will tell you what. It gave me so much more respect for middle school teachers. And I would say I had multiple days like this, but one day in particular where I just, I had this one class at the end of the day where it just felt like everything I was doing to try to manage the classroom and maintain any kind of normalcy or just flow or any productivity, it was just kind of going out the door. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just felt so yeah, just so beaten down. Um, I feel like my primary emotion is just getting sad and it's really hard for me to stop tears when they're coming. Mm -hmm. And I just found myself in the corner of the classroom as like, nobody was listening to me. It just felt like absolute chaos. I was literally frozen. I was like, I don't even know what to do. Like Mm -hmm. I was just tears were welling up. I was like, why are all these eighth graders making me cry? But Mm -hmm. that was what was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I called in a learning specialist that we have at our school. And I was just like, Hey, can you just come and sit in on this class? I'm Mm -hmm. really, really struggling with my student relationships. I just really don't feel like I'm connecting with this class. Um, I'm irritable. It's the last class of the day. And I know that they're irritable and it was just a really tough dynamic. And she came in and, um, 
she was so helpful. Um, she provided so much insight on the language I use and how to kind of positively point out things mm-hmm. in students and what they're doing. Um, and just talk. And also she affirmed like, this is a really tough dynamic of students you have here. Like, Mm -hmm. this is not just you, like this would be hard for anybody. And that made me feel super affirmed. Mm -hmm. And then it was right before Christmas that year. And I remember she just kind of left in my box, um, one of those little chimes that really elementary school teachers use. Um, Mm -hmm. But she kind of told me about it. And I was like, okay, I don't know, that feels a little silly with eighth graders. Um, but she just left the most encouraging note. And she was like, I want you to have this chime. I, you know, I don't know if it'll work, but I want you to try it with your eighth grade class. And I think just really shows how much just a coworker going out of their way for you um, and really showing up for you and offering encouragement, just how much that can help you get out of the trenches. And that really felt like a turning point in the year for me where um, the rest of the year was still challenging, but uh, it did get better every single day. And I implemented a lot of tips that um, she gave me. And yeah, it just was so helpful and just made me really feel valued and appreciated and seen by one of my colleagues. Mm-hmm. How did the time work when you started using it? Um, It worked okay. Uh, mm-hmm. It definitely was a learning curve. Like she told me, you're going to have to teach, sure. you know, these rules, you're going to have to teach the rules and it's going to take them a while to get accustomed to it. But I will say not having to use my voice Um, and having kind of a sound that was a little bit different to call attention to those classes that are are just a little bit more all over the place it was super it was super helpful Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't use it as consistently as maybe I should have or maybe where it would have been implemented even better but it did help especially at first so yeah Mm -hmm. and are you back to just teaching high school this year I am yeah I'm just (laughs) in high school yeah I was actually just talking to a friend on the phone and I was like yeah I feel like really energized when I get home from work this year. I don't really know why. And she was like, probably because you're not teaching middle school. I was like, yeah, I think that's true. I was like a shell of a human last year. So um, it's been nice. The nice to go back to what I feel like is my, is my comfort zone and kind of my forte, but. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at least you have that experience oh my gosh, yeah. in case um, there's a need in the future or, you know, you could speak to that. So, uh, let's dive into talking about your book. So I mentioned embrace your story, young woman's Mm -hmm. guide to discover who you are, where to go and why you matter, um, came out, um, just, uh, as recording, uh, about a month ago in late October. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me about your journey to writing it, who it's geared towards Mm -hmm. and kind of what young adults can, um, get out of the book. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. So it's been a dream of mine to write a book for a really long time. I grew up with journals of my whole life. I've journaled almost every single day since second grade when my grandma first gave me a journal. So I think just writing and reflecting on my life has just always been something I've gravitated towards really naturally and has just helped me reflect on who I am, who I'm becoming. And that's why in my book, which I have here, I implemented journal questions at the end of every chapter because Mm -hmm. again, journaling has just been so influential for me. And people always ask me like, what do you journal about? And I always tell people if journaling is not your thing, you don't need to force it to be your thing. Mm -hmm. But for me, I don't feel any sense of, I guess, obligation around journaling. I just write whatever I feel like writing. Um, But it is sometimes nice to have questions, but yeah. So writing a book has always been a dream. I've always loved writing. um, And when I started teaching, I also 
wanted to be a teacher for a long time. And that felt, I guess, like the more practical route. Um, and then as I got into teaching, I was like, dang, I really still want to write a book. Um, and I kind of thought more and more about what I could write. And I sort of fell on a beautiful combination between my two passions, which mm -hmm. is writing and young people like high school mm -hmm. aged. Um, specifically, I just think girls because I can relate to them. Um, but I think that this book could be for boys too. Mm -hmm. um, but it is geared towards young women. And I kind of say, I think the best age would maybe be 16 to 22. But mm -hmm. I've had friends, I'm 26. I've had friends my age read it and absolutely okay. love it. Um, my fiance is a 27 year old guy and he's mm -hmm. lo he loved it too, but he might be biased. Um, and yeah, so it's really talks. I give a lot of personal narratives, a lot of mm -hmm. stories, um, but it's set into 10 chapters and each chapter is sort of a different, I guess, kind of tagline for how to navigate transitions in life. Cause I think in those ages specifically, you're just navigating so much. I mean, mm -hmm. going off to college, maybe dating somebody for the first time, maybe going through a breakup for the first time, figuring out what you want to do with your life. Um, I know my parents got divorced when I was in college. So I talk mm -hmm. a lot about that. Um, just how big any kind of family transition, I think that a lot of um, young girls can relate to and so many other getting my first job. I mean, there's a lot of um, moving to a new city there. I just talk about all these different transitions that I think just pile on girls and, mm -hmm. and guys, but just young people um, that we don't really take the time to sit back and think like, oh my gosh, they're actually going through a lot right now. So yeah, I use a lot of personal stories, um, but I also just, I bring in um, other quotes, some research and just a lot of good stuff to kind of help girls navigate life um, and at the end of the day really find joy in their story even if it might seem like they have no hope um, mm -hmm. if they don't have any good friends right now if they just have no idea what they want to do with their life I hear those I hear that a lot from girls um, and just hopefully giving them some hope and some tangible tips as well to take away on how to kind of pursue the life they've always dreamed of so that's that's kind of my heart behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And you remind me a lot of my sister because she, she also wrote a book. It's geared towards like kind of preteens and slightly mm -hmm. younger than the girls um, that you gear your book towards, but she did a lot of that journaling and, and yeah. writing like uh, when she grew up as well. And I think um, like just that type of um, book that you can kind of get um, your own stories from, but also like Mm -hmm. have that way of like thinking you're not alone through reading mm -hmm. the book. I mean, you know, that's uh, the need, you know, for, yeah. for young adults, especially if they're not really connected, like if they've moved away to go to college, um, yeah. you know, or if they're applying to college and they're not quite sure uh, mm -hmm. where to go. Um, I think there's, you know, a lot of those things that they might not think that they can ask a school counselor or a parent right. or family member about. So you know, kudos to you for putting out a book for young adults that, um, you know, are looking for a little bit of direction in life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like we're all looking for direction. I just think this specific demographic needs mm -hmm. as much support as they can get. Um, and I'm lucky that I get to be around them every single day. So I feel like I really know like what they need to hear right now. Um, mm -hmm maybe more than the average author of a book who is not around young people or whatever. So, mm -hmm. so in terms of uh, problems, I know teen girls are faced with many problems today, but what would you say is the biggest problem? Yeah, I, 
gosh, there are quite a few that come to mind. I think loneliness and isolation is one of them that I talk Mm -hmm. about in the book. Um, But even more, I think than that, I think that was a big, Mm -hmm. a big problem in 2020. But now that life's kind of getting back, it's like girls are maybe less lonely per se, because a lot of them are back around people. Um, But I think they're still comparing themselves constantly and can feel alone, even if they're surrounded by people. So Mm -hmm. um, I think social media and comparison is, I see a lot of, um, I see a lot of benefits from social media. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also see a lot of cons to it. I think that it's unnatural for humans to know what each other are doing all of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not really how we were created was to know what everybody at a, you know, a click of a button is doing all the time. But now that's just become part of our life. All of a sudden you have this device where you can see what everybody is doing. Not only can you see what your friends at your school are doing and you weren't invited to, but you can also see what famous people are doing or what, um, you know, teenagers in different countries and all around the world are doing, which can be really cool, but mm-hmm. it also can feel like, okay, there's, sh- we know deep down that they're showing the highlight of their life yeah. on social media, but it's hard not to compare yourself to what especially these other girls look like what they're wearing what kind of vacations they're going on how many friends they have how many things they're invited to um it's just it's so easy and even for me it's so easy to get wrapped up in wow I I'm not ever gonna look like that Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. my life's really boring like my life's never gonna look like that um And so, especially at that age when their brains are still developing and um, they just care so much about what other people think of them. And I don't know if that ever fully ends, but I just think it's really, you know, it's really profound at that, at that age. Um, It can just be really detrimental, not to mention the cyberbullying that can happen Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, behind screens. So I do, I talk a lot about that in my book. I have kind of two chapters that um, talk about social media. One specifically brings in a lot of research on just how social media affects their mental health. Um, and I, I do talk about the positives of it too. So I'm not saying like social media is the devil. Like that's not what I'm saying at all. I have social media, I use social media. Um, but I do kind of bring in just the statistics of, you know, it, especially for young girls, there are higher depression rates and higher anxiety rates and um, higher suicide rates. So it is like a real problem that I think needs to be talked about. And most girls, I also did anonymous letter with like 200 students and I bring in a lot of, um, those quotes into my book. And I mean, most, the, the question was very vague that I asked them. I just said, what, what do you wish adults knew about what it's like being your age is what I asked them. And the majority of girls said, I just wish that they would understand how hard it is to navigate a world with social media where I'm constantly comparing myself. Um, and it's as easy to lose a friend as just being taken out of a group text. Like that's how easy you can cut somebody off. Um, so I just think it's a really hard time to grow up, um, around that. And yeah, I give a lot of advice on that as well. So, um, this is kind of a, I would say it's kind of off topic, but a little Mm -hmm. bit on topic in terms of, I mean, you're from a different generation and I, you know, I grew up when I was your age, um, you know, they, (laughs) there wasn't really social media, um, around. And so like, just 
thinking like, okay, can, can a girl who's having the depression and anxiety because, you know, she's looking at Instagram or apps, you know, whatever, whatever it may be so much. Is there a way that she can just say, she's just going to take a break. I mean, if, if you're 16 to 22, is it because like me uh, being a, a parent of somebody mm-hmm. age, like, is it that easy to just say, you know, if, if your parent's not taking the phone away, like yeah. can a young adult actually regulate themselves enough to like, just say, this is not doing me any good. I'm taking this app off my phone. I think it depends on yeah. the kid. Um, yeah. I think there are some girls that I know in high school that have like very strict boundaries yeah. for themselves, which I think is incredible. I think if we can push kids and having boundaries for themselves, that's even better than yeah. us trying to regulate it because the more that you take away something, the more they want it, they see it as like this idolized thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do know girls who are self-aware enough who are able to delete the app, you know, for a couple of days, like I just need a break. I know I mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of kids that can't self-regulate yeah. at the same yeah. time. I see that all the time. And that's why in my classroom, I have- this podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Have a big, you know, I don't know if you, it's actually kind of like this advent calendar, but they put mm-hmm. their phones in the pockets mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when they come in and it's just, yes, they roll their eyes on the first day, but now it's just the expectation. They put their phone yeah. in the pocket and last year, and even, you know, my first few years teaching, I was like, no, I want them to learn how to deal with having their phones with them and, you know, not use it. And then I realized like, you know, they're still growing up like they're still you know young teens and if i need to you know give them this hour and a half without their phone even if they hate it at first i see the benefits of it even if they can't see mm-hmm. it yet like mm-hmm. during class if we're taking a break they're actually talking to each other and not all just on their phones like i see so many benefits to it that i just don't think they can self regulate um so i would say yeah it depends, but um, I do think there are ways that we can kind of help help teens, um, you know, shift towards having better boundaries for themselves. Yeah, and I see that just with students I work with, you know, that some like whether or not you take it away, they're just going to be like addicted to taking pictures and yeah. just wanting to post stuff, and you know, it's like they cannot it seems like they don't exist outside of like, you know, this realm within their phone and, you know, they're right there with other people, like you said. So just, um, trying to see, yeah. Having girls see the benefit of like Mm -hmm. having, that was my next question. Um, how can they make real and genuine friends, right? The friends are not who follows them on whatever app or who likes their posts, right? How can they actually be more involved in Mm -hmm. extracurriculars uh, a lot of a lot of girls that are maybe spending a lot of time on social media are introverted, but they yeah. appear extroverted on Online, their posts. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, um, I think that's such an important question about how to make real and genuine friends, like especially in high school. It really makes or breaks your experience, in my opinion. Um, and I would say I have a chapter. I have a couple. Mm-hmm. I talk about this kind of a lot in my book because I feel like I've been blessed with amazing friends in my life. Um, but when I talk about my, 
my chapter on building community and how important that is, I say that I feel like I've done two things in my life to kind of build genuine friendships. And one of Mm -hmm. them is putting yourself out there, um, which is uncomfortable and it's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And the other one is aligning yourself with people of the same values. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't mean that to say that you can't ever have friends with different values because I definitely do. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like the same core values where, you know, you just feel it's, it's just a feeling. I mean, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not, sometimes it really is the core value, whether that's your faith or, um, you know, your belief about something, or, you know, maybe you join a club that has the same value as you, that can be a great connector. Um, but I do think it's kind of a feeling of, um, you feel safe around somebody, you kind of know that you can be your full self around them and you're not going to leave. And they're going to start talking about you behind your back. Um, I just think that you need to use your intuition in these situations. I think you really can tell that if you're looking for it, but girls get so trapped in, well, I want to be friends with the coolest people. And, and I find those girls who are, are searching for that are usually the most unhappy um, because they're just not surrounding themselves with people who they truly feel safe that they're not going to be talked about, that um, they might get the invite, but they might not. Um, that's just not a super, I guess, joyful or content way to live. Um, and I think for me, I talk about my own journey in high school. I sort of did that climb and I think it's natural and I think you have to learn from it maybe, but I did that climb in eighth and ninth and 10th grade where I was like, well, I do have these friends, but I kind of want to be friends with them. And you're kind of then in between two friend groups. Um, and then I finally realized, well, I feel great when I'm around these other girls, like they're they're so kind. They never talk bad about each other. There's no drama. Um, like, why do I care so much about how other people are viewing me if I'm not even happy in that group? Um, and so I think that's a big step for girls. Um, and I think the sooner they find that, the better. But um, that can be really hard. Um, and it takes a lot of maturity to be like, I'm going to be friends with these girls, even if that doesn't look the best on the outside. Um, so, yeah, I talk about that a lot. And Um, You have to put yourself out there. You have to join things that might be uncomfortable. I talk about um, the power of like going on if your school offers school trips or even to summer camp, um, those kind of opportunities where you really are kind of off your phones, experiencing something new with other teens or young adults your age uh, that I've made some of my best friends that way. And I know that um, that's an amazing way to just like really form deep friendships because you're not going to make your best friends in a classroom, you're just, you're probably not. So, um, I think that there's so many ways, but yeah, putting yourself out there is a big one. Yeah. And I think that can be challenging for people who, um, may have those experiences where they feel like they can't trust people and, Mm -hmm. you know, they've had some friends that kind of, they go through friends, I would say like, you know, people that become frenemies and, uh, but I think yeah. with, with the years that you grow in high school, you know, you're, you know, yeah. you're thinking kind of to from eighth to ninth and 10th grade, then yeah. you start really becoming more self-aware, totally. I think in your junior and senior year. So, mm-hmm. um, but I'm glad that you have some tips and you share a little bit about your own journey mm-hmm. at that time. Um, what about people pleasing? Um, you know, a lot of, um, teens and young adults, um, want to compare themselves mm-hmm. to others and people please, um, and sometimes they might not go after what they want. Uh, yeah. This could be maybe uh, majoring in something in college that their family wants them to major in. It could be taking a certain job um, in high school uh, to people please, or just, 
you know, hanging with a certain group of people. Mm -hmm. Um, So how can people let go of that? Yeah. Um, I think that there are so many, um, so many ways that people can people please. It doesn't look the same for everybody. I've always been very jealous of those people who I just feel like they do whatever they want and they don't care what people think at all. Um, Mm -hmm. I am definitely not like that. I am such a people pleaser. I constantly am putting other people's emotions and feelings first, which is not all a bad thing. I mean, I think I have a lot of empathy and I, I try to lean into that and it's not all like usually people pleasing is coming from a good place. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't want to say that, Oh, it's all negative, but I have had to learn how, like, what do I want? Like sure. listening to your voice. And I think for me, the, uh, the biggest thing that's helped is what I talked about at the beginning is journaling, just really yeah. self-reflecting. Um, if we're constantly listening to other voices telling us what we should do, um, yeah. you're, it's going to be impossible to really find your own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think taking time in the quiet, which for uh, teens and for me is very, very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. It goes back to being on your phone. I mean, it's so much easier and less scary to be filled with information constantly and not actually be left with your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that people run away from that a lot, um, as do I. And But for me, the best way that I've found to figure out what my thoughts are and what I really want and who I really am is through journaling and self-reflecting and also just really rallying, like having people around you that, you know, rally around your dreams and, um, who you want to be. I mean, I never would have written this book if it wasn't for a few friends who told me, Hey, I, I really think you should do this. I think you have something special to say. And I think that says a lot about what a few people, um, can do to encourage you to live out, uh, who you want to be. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, like you said, uh, more people reflect on maybe how it went, you know, a certain year, Mm-hmm. Um, then they can see, see like, oh, that's a mistake I made in eighth grade. And now they're in 10th grade. And, mm-hmm. you know, this, um, you, you remember a lot more, I think through journaling and, yeah. um, having just that perspective, um, yep. and about relationships that might've been healthy versus yeah. not so healthy. Right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it helps with everything. I feel like it always helps me kind of center my thoughts. Or if I have a conversation I'm about to have that I'm really nervous about, Mm -hmm. I just journal exactly what I want the conversation to go like. And um, yeah, it really helps you have a clear mind. And I think helps me a lot. Just, yeah, again, like I said, just really decipher, like, what do I want versus what do other people want for me? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, tell me about something that I would say is kind of a crazy story um, from teaching (laughs) Spanish in high school. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of funny stories. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've had the chance to take some kids abroad to Costa Rica, um, um, some students, and that was just an incredible experience. Just really getting to see them have their eyes open for the first time. I know for me, that was like life-changing being in a Spanish speaking country. So that was really fun. Um, I also follow a teaching method called organic world language, mm-hmm. uh, which really tries to recreate an environment where it's hundred percent in the target language. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's kind of recreating how they learned their first language. Um, so there's always a lot of really funny things I think that come up with that when they're not allowed to use English. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I always tell them if we kind of learn at the beginning of the year, if you don't know how to say something in Spanish, you need to act it out, draw it out or use what you know. 
Um, and so just, especially in my Spanish one classes, seeing them just like acting out crazy things to try to explain to me mm-hmm. what they're mm-hmm. trying to say. Like, like one of them was asking if they could go get water one day and he like grabbed a water bottle and dumped it on his head. And I was like, okay, that like, you took that very literally, but uh-huh. um, that was, that was entertaining. And then we can all laugh about it and kind of build that, um, community of trust, um, So yeah, there's not one specific crazy story that comes to mind, but I always try to hook like all the, I try to hook, um, hook the kids and what's interesting to them. And then we Mm -hmm. build language on that. So there was, I guess, three years ago, Timothy Chalamet was like a very famous actor Mm -hmm. and he still is, but I think at the time he was like really big. Um, and it was kind of a joke that he could barely grow a mustache. It was kind Mm -hmm. of all over social media. And so I like was teaching them like physical attributes and I put up a picture of Timothy Chalamet and I taught them bigote for mustache. And then every single time, you know, I brought up the word bigote or we were describing Mm -hmm. anybody for the rest of the year, it was like, oh, Timothy Chalamet tiene un bigote. And they would all like just Mm -hmm. having little inside jokes as a class is so fun. So Mm -hmm. it's just the little moments, but um, they keep me laughing and there's never a dull moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's a, I think it's also being with kids that are um, more ready to grasp, I guess. I mean, you can teach kids, you know, that are in elementary school uh, languages, but I I think also when you're teaching uh, ninth graders and up, it's, Mm -hmm. they know um, they have maybe more possibilities to go travel, to use the language. Um, They're closer to kind of that college experience where they might be going to study abroad. Mm-hmm. So I think they see more of the um, benefits, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> In the learning the language. So, mm-hmm. um, so you uh, have uh, listed that faith is very important in your life. And at your school, you told me this past summer, um, there uh, was a survey or the school had started um, kind of looking at the impact uh, students feel like in belonging at your school. Mm-hmm. So your school has started many affinity groups and some of them are, um, are religious based. And tell me kind of how that has changed, uh, how kids are experiencing um, just belonging. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really special. They've been doing affinity groups for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they had the Jewish student union. Um, and I think they had maybe the Muslim one already. Um, but they didn't have a Christian affinity group. And Mm -hmm. honestly, it was one of those things where I was like, I don't know if they ever will. I live in Seattle and it's the most secular city in the country. And I would just say, um, Christianity for, you know, valid reasons in some sense has just a negative connotation sometimes. Um, And at the same time, I knew that there were a lot of students that did identify as Christian Mm -hmm. and their faith was really important to them and they weren't trying to spread hate. I mean, quite the opposite. I mean, if you look at Jesus's life, it's um, really truly a life of like love and acceptance and justice. And um, they felt I've met multiple students throughout my years that just felt very alone in their faith. Mm -hmm. And honestly, Mm -hmm. there was even some bullying that went on of like, oh, you're a Christian, like you hate these people and just like a lot of really even more negative things than that. Um, Mm -hmm. So in the survey kind of got revealed, like it's not, our school is not really a safe place to talk about your religion or your Mm -hmm. faith. Um, I don't even think that was just for Christianity. I think that was in all the, all the religions. So 
me and a couple colleagues went and talked to the head of DEI and uh, we were just like, we, we see a need for this. We see students mm-hmm. that need this. Um, and it was his, it's his first year here. And he was like, yeah, I mean, everybody deserves a space where they can feel safe and um, mm-hmm. heard and around people that understand. And so it's been really special. We've only started it this year, but we have some student leaders and we have our school's not that big. And we have like 30 kids coming, which I feel like is a lot more than I even expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, every single week. And it's just been a space where we can talk about what it's like being a Christian, how we can show love to those around us, um, how we can live out our faith and how we can grow closer to God. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been really special. I think it's been special to see the students get to know each other and be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea you were a Christian. And um, yeah, it's just been really sweet and special for them to have a space just where they feel like they don't have to hide anything. Mm-hmm. Um, as in all, all the affinity groups, I think serve that purpose. And um, it's not to be exclusive. It's truly just to find a place where you feel like you can be your full self. Um, so I'm really grateful that they're letting us do it. And it's been really, really cool so far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, traditionally some high schools have had different student yeah. unions and stuff and that might have fallen away, you know, in the past maybe five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, especially when you have a survey about culture, I mean, a lot of districts have student surveys, but yeah. how often do staff really get the results of the survey? Maybe they exactly. just go to some district person and we never hear about it. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> for you to actually, you know, take yeah, that no, they, step. Like, they presented it to like us as a whole faculty and, mm-hmm. um, I was like, oh, wow, are we going to do anything about it? Or are we just going to know about it? But then, mm-hmm. you know, it actually has, you know, turned into action, which I think is incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hope that will continue to grow mm-hmm. for those different groups and kids uh, having that safe space at your school. Yeah. Well, we've had a great conversation today around your uh, teaching experience, um, your passion for um, helping young people find their place um, and grow when they're, you know, starting out, um, after high school and how, um, kind of wrapping up everything out of uh, everything we talked about, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier. And I think the biggest thing that I try to tell my students, and I feel like I need to hear and young people need to hear is you're really not going to remember what grade you got on a math Mm -hmm. test 10 years from now. Um, but you are going to remember um, the way that you made other people feel and the relationships yeah. that you built. And I think just always centering back to that as an educator is important for me too, because mm-hmm. I can get stuck in, are they learning enough? Are they doing well enough? And when we have a moment in the classroom where it's just joy and laughter and things kind of fall apart for a second, I'm like, okay, I'll take a second. Mm-hmm and pause and just be like, this is what it's about. Like, you're not going to remember when you got a C and you were devastated. So just try to put things back into perspective. And um, I think high school kids who feel so much pressure, especially need to be reminded of that today. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Where can people connect with you and find you online? Yeah. Um, I have a few different ways you can find me, but my Instagram is at Smith underscore childs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty active there. And then 
my book is actually under my married name. I'm not getting married until April, but I was advised mm-hmm. to go ahead and um, change it on the book and okay. on my website. So it's under Smith Menard. You can buy it on Amazon and Kindle. Mm-hmm. And um, my website is www.smithmenard.com. So yeah. Sounds great. I'll make sure I um, include all those links in the show notes. And thank you so much for being my guest on the Out of the Trenches podcast. Thank you, Dana. I really appreciate it. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC.